It's Thursday, June 29th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, Joe Biden launched a new effort yesterday to highlight his economic successes. We're going to discuss three things that he took credit for and whether or not he's right. Second, no matter your politics, there is good reason to cheer about America's economy. I've got new data to tell you about that suggests that we might just avoid a pretty nasty recession. Third, the Russian mutiny last weekend is hitting global wheat prices and causing Moscow to scramble in Africa. I've got updates on both. Fourth, I'm going to put you in the Oval Office this morning because I've got two pieces of news for you to consider about China. And I want you to decide what you would do if you were president. Later, we close out the podcast with a question from Skip in Southern Virginia. He wants to know what I think about Joe Biden voicing his opinion yesterday about Vladimir Putin invading Iraq. Oh, dear. Well, I've got a response. It's coming up. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. It's called Bidenonomics. Bidenonomics. I don't know how to say it, but the bottom line it is it's a new word and it's a new campaign slogan by the White House launched yesterday in Chicago during a speech by Mr. Joe Biden. He, of course, is trying to refocus and resell his past couple years in the Oval Office as he competes in next year's presidential election. However, as the Associated Press is reporting this morning, that is going to be a pretty tough sell. Only 34% of Americans support Mr. Biden's handling of the economy. Meanwhile, an NBC poll out Monday shows that 74% of Americans think that the country is on the wrong track. Now, to be fair, there are some positive economic indicators that Mr. Biden could honestly point to yesterday. For instance, the unemployment rate, that stands near a historic low of 3.7%. And that is true, thank God. Also, there is a fairly dramatic increase in factory construction in America, although that is mostly driven, well, frankly, almost exclusively from government subsidies and things like computer chip plants, plus factories for those so-called green energy revolution things like batteries and solar panel parts and such. Nevertheless, there are three things that Mr. Biden said yesterday that deserve a bit more of our attention because, as he said, He is going to focus quite heavily on these things throughout the campaign. So we are going to take each claim about wages, taxes, and debt, and we are going to fact check him on each of those things about whether or not he is right. So let's start with the first thing that he emphasized, uh, specifically around wages, right? Mr. Biden said that he has helped put middle-class Americans into stronger financial positions because wages on his watch have been growing at a rapid clip. All right, is that true? Well, yes, but mostly no. Let me explain. Wages are up over Mr. Biden's tenure. That is absolutely true. But inflation has eaten up every penny of that increase and then some. Right? In fact, there's a term for this. It's called real earnings or real wages. And it is what you earn minus inflation right? And that number, your real wage, 
has actually declined 3.6% since Biden took office. Okay, that takes us to our second fact check this morning. Mr. Biden claimed that America's billionaires are not paying their fair share. As he asked the audience, quote, do you know how much their average federal tax rate is? 8%. No billionaire should pay a lower tax rate than a school teacher or a firefighter or a cop, end quote. In other words, he's saying that billionaires pay only 8% in taxes, while working class folks like you and I, we pay far more than that. But is that true? No, no, it is not. In fact, this is a pretty familiar and common claim that is made by Mr. Biden and some of his fellow Democrats, but it has been repeatedly debunked by fact-checking organizations like PolitiFact. So here's the truth. According to IRS data, which was flagged by that organization, PolitiFact, right, the top 1% of taxpayers pay an average federal income tax rate of 25%. Meanwhile, the even more elite group of rich Americans that he's probably speaking of here, again, these would be folks that earn more than $60 million or more in a year. All right, these folks, according to the IRS, pay a rate of 22.9% in federal taxes. Again, all according to IRS data. Meanwhile, let's compare that to firefighters and teachers and cops. In other words, people who generally earn less than $100,000 a year. Well, those folks pay effective tax rates of between 0 and 15%. So there is the fact check on the billionaire tax rate claim. Mr. Biden was just simply wrong. Finally, Mr. Biden also spoke about the nation's debt yesterday, as noted by PBS NewsHour. He said this, quote, the bottom line is that the deficit went up every year under my predecessor, both before the pandemic and during the pandemic. But it has gone down both years since I have been here, end quote. All right, let's ask, is that true? Well, here again, the answer is yes, but well, mostly no. So first, let's start with this. The U.S. hasn't had a budget surplus since the year 2001, right? And that includes when Biden and Obama were both in the White House. Then during the pandemic, we had some blowout spending, right? Backed by both parties, by the way. Now, since then, it is true that we have spent less than those blowout pandemic years, but D.C. is still engaging in some pretty serious deficit spending. And that somewhat difference is what Mr. Biden is taking credit for here. Meanwhile, in a stroke of pretty bad luck for Mr. Biden, as he was speaking about his record on deficits and how good things are on his watch, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office released a report saying that whatever progress that he or others in D.C. might try to claim, well, it's not material. Instead, they said that over the next 25 years, our national debt is going to climb from 91% of GDP today to 181% of GDP or gross domestic product by the year 2050 or so. Right, so to help explain what that means, Bloomberg News summed it up by saying, quote, such high and rising debt will slow economic growth, push up interest rates and payments to foreign debt holders and pose significant risks to the fiscal and economic outlook of America, end quote. In other words, nobody in Washington, D.C. gets any credit for much of anything, all right? 
Biden or otherwise. So nobody better take credit. Okay, there you have it, folks. Three claims made by Mr. Biden yesterday about wages and taxes and debt. Claims that he is going to be making again on the campaign trail, no doubt about it. But now you have at least a little bit of fact-checking to help keep him honest. With that, let's move on to our second brief of the morning. And let's talk about some good economic news. All right, three pieces of really great economic news, whether you give credit to Mr. Biden or not. Who cares? Let's celebrate it. On Tuesday, we got this first piece of good news. Uh, Purchases of new homes climbed at the fastest rate in more than a year, up 12.2% as reported by Bloomberg News and Axios. So here's why that is good news, right? It shows that many American consumers are still buying houses despite the Federal Reserve continuing to raise interest rates, obviously with the goal of cooling inflation. In other words, the housing market is still pretty strong despite high mortgage rates, which takes us to our second piece of good economic news. This one is related to durable goods or the items like cars or computers that are designed to last for at least three years, right? Those purchases were up 1.7% in May, right? That is the third increase over the past three months. Meanwhile, business investments actually increased too, up a touch, 0.7%, but still, that is the second straight month of growth. Lastly, in our final piece of good economic news, consumer confidence was up last month, to the highest levels since early 2022. That was reported by Bloomberg News, which noted that people are more optimistic because of the tight labor market and hopes of an economic expansion to come. Now, not to be a downer, but it is true that we've got some good data on housing and durable goods and consumer confidence, but mixed in that data, are some pretty consistent and stubborn concerns and fears about an economic slowdown, especially because the Fed keeps raising interest rates following these inflation levels that remain well above the goal of 2%. Plus, we've got this issue of, of uh, commercial debt. I'm going to be talking about that in future briefs, but it's, it's a problem. Bottom line, folks, the U.S. economy is in overall better shape than what many uh, expected just last winter, and that's good. But we've still got some warning signs that we are not out of the recession woods, at least not just yet. More to come. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners. Remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or a service, then I don't endorse it. We'll be right back. Folks, there are two things that I speak a lot about on The Right Report. First, we live in a troubled world, especially with China and the prospect of war with Beijing. Second, I talk about America's obesity crisis and how important it is to find ways to exercise and eat well. Thankfully, I've got a solution for both. ArcSeedKits.com, a provider of high-quality heirloom seeds that give you food security and a healthy body. Now, some of you have asked me, Brian, why should I pay a premium for heirloom seeds when I can buy cheaper stuff from online outlets or big box stores? Well, Arc Seed Kits give you the type of seeds that our grandparents had, right? You can save seeds from each year's garden crop and replant them year after year. Plus, Arc Seed Kits have all of the variety you need, folks. Listen to this. Six types of beans, four types of squash, seven tomatoes, two corn, two peas, 
Whew, don't even get me started on the root crops, like beets and rutabaga and carrots. So all in all, we're talking about 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables. And here's the best part. These seeds come from a family-owned farm in northern Michigan. No mystery seeds that you might get from an online or big box store. So do yourself a favor and buy the all-in-one seed kit. Go to arcseedkits.com. That's arc, like Noah's Ark, arcseedkits.com. Enter right as a promo code, that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get 10% off your order. So be prepared and invest in food security. Go to arcseedkits.com today. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. And we start with two important updates this morning on the mutiny in Russia. So as listeners know, last Saturday, a group of Russian mercenaries started to march on Moscow, probably to kill or capture the Minister of Defense, amongst others. But then they turned around and, you know, just called the whole thing off. But obviously the damage was done. In fact, on Monday, I told you about a list of 10 things that I was watching for to fully appreciate the global fallout. And the first thing that I mentioned was how it might impact our pocketbooks, right? As Moscow is a major exporter of oil, fertilizer, and wheat. Well, this morning, I've got an update. According to Bloomberg News, wheat futures shot up 3.2% on Monday morning, though they have settled down just a bit since then. But that roller coaster underlines some pretty serious trader anxiety. And that's because Moscow is expected to be the world's biggest wheat exporter both this year and next. So any change would have a pretty significant impact on global supply and price. And speaking of, wheat prices are up about 28% over the past month, partly due to bad growing conditions in places like Kansas, as we've discussed. But it's also because of the war in Ukraine, broadly speaking. So as listeners know, there has been an, an uneasy deal between Moscow and Kiev, which has allowed wheat and other agricultural products to be exported out of the Black Sea. But that deal signed last summer is, once again, under threat. Right? It expires in two weeks' time, and both sides this morning are expressing doubts that it's going to be extended. And if that is true, oh boy, watch out for those wheat prices. They are likely to rise even further. Next, I've got an update for you on what is likely to happen to the Wagner Group, which, of course, is the company that hired those mutineers that marched towards Moscow. Now, if you will recall our brief on Monday, I talked to you about how Wagner has thousands of fighters in the Middle East and Africa in countries like Syria, Mali and the Central African Republic. And the question that I put to you on Monday is what is going to happen to all of those men? Well, I've got some details for you as provided by the Wall Street Journal and my own sources. So let's start with Syria. Within hours of the mutiny, right, Russia's deputy foreign minister was on a flight to Syria's capital of Damascus to personally deliver two messages. First, he asked Syrian President Bashar al-Assad to prevent any Wagner fighters from leaving Syria without Moscow's permission, and President Assad agreed. Second, Wagner forces in Syria were told that they could no longer operate independently. Right? They would serve at the, uh, at the pleasure rather, of the Kremlin. So for what it's worth, President Assad agreed. Third, Wagner's men were told to go to a Russian air base that the military actually operates on the Mediterranean Sea and, well, bunk there until they received further instruction. 
Well, the men did as they were told. So that's Syria. So after this deputy foreign minister delivered those messages, he and his colleagues flew off to the African country of Mali, which of course has its very famous city of Timbuktu. But the Russians were not there to sightsee. They went to talk to the Malian government, who has been paying Wagner $10 million a month to help them wage war on local jihadists. Well, once the Russians arrived at the Malian capital of Bamako, believed to be on Sunday, they directed Wagner fighters to stay in their posts and do exactly as Moscow directs them to do. Otherwise, they were going to uh, <clears throat> face reprisals. No details were apparently given to the men. By the way, the government of Mali is calling this Russian mutiny a domestic matter and that things will continue as normal in terms of cooperation with Moscow. Finally, let's talk about Mali's neighbor, right? The Central African Republic and their capital of Banji. Right? Wagner has 3,000 mercenaries fighting in that country, waging war against Islamists and, frankly, anybody else who gets in the way of the government. Well, the nation's presidential security advisor said yesterday that, well, the Russian mutiny was a domestic matter and that cooperation with Moscow would continue. He then made a joke about Beethoven and Mozart and Wagner. Anyway, just another way of saying Wagner. But the point is, he was very, very excited to keep the Wagner group in his country. That is the Central African Republic. So that's the latest on the Wagner Group and their operations abroad, and frankly, what Putin plans to do with it. If I can pivot now from facts and data to my opinion and analysis, I'd like to offer you this. So Putin did exactly what I would have expected, right? He acted very swiftly because the Kremlin knew correctly that the U.S. and others would try to swoop in and take advantage of the, the chaos and the confusion that was created by the mutiny. But Putin... Well, he nipped it in the bud, at least in Africa and for now. By the way, if I were CIA director, I would do two things. First, I would have my station chiefs in Banji and Bamako and elsewhere pay a courtesy call on these African leaders with a very polite message saying, look, we are here when the Russians fail you and they will. And then I'd have my 007s, as it were, recruit some of these Wagner guys, right? And put them to good use. And trust me, they are looking for an insurance policy. And the CIA could absolutely give them one. With that, let's wrap up our morning brief by, well, using our imaginations. I want you to imagine that you are the president of the United States. And I'm going to deliver two pieces of news to you in the Oval Office about China. And I want you to tell me what you would do next. So let's get to it, Mr. or Madam President. First, the U.S. State Department confirmed yesterday that it had reached a previously unannounced agreement with China to increase the number of commercial flights between the U.S. and Chinese cities. Right, the top U.S. diplomat for East Asia, it's a man named Daniel Crittenbrink, he said yesterday that U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken had agreed during his recent trip to Beijing well, to a request that was made by China to increase the number of commercial flights between the two countries from 24 currently to upwards of 350 that previously actually existed before the COVID pandemic. Mr. Crittenbrink said that these new commercial flights, by the way, would help foster, quote, 
people-to-people contact, end quote. And apparently the argument is that the contact would somehow bring better peace and prosperity and understanding. Okay, so there is the first piece of news as you imagine yourselves sitting in the Oval Office. Here is the next piece of China-related news. The FBI Director Christopher Wray has said that the Bureau is opening a new China-related counterintelligence investigation every 12 hours of every day of every week of the year, with over 2,000 such cases currently underway. Said Director Ray, quote, There is no country that presents a broader, more severe threat to our innovation, our ideas, and our economic security than China does. End quote. That was an, uh, from an interview with NBC News, by the way. He also delivered remarks in the UK saying that the China threat is, quote, immense and breathtaking, end quote. So those are your facts and data, Mr. or Madam President. Right? On one hand, to recap, your State Department wants to increase commercial flights to and from China to levels 15 times greater than what we currently have. Right? And the goal there is apparently to increase, what was it, um, people-to-people exchanges. On the other hand, your FBI director is saying that the Bureau is opening up counterintelligence investigations every 12 hours of every day, 365 days a year, on the China target. All right, and that, he said, this threat, it is pouring in from China at a level that is unmatched by any other country on the face of the planet. And, of course, it is immense and breathtaking, as one would expect. So, what do you do? Right, Mr. or Madam President, what might common sense or logic tell us is the most appropriate policy decision? Well, if I could give you my advice... Right, don't call these commercial flights uh, people-to-people exchanges. Right? Call them for what they are. They are the transportation of spies and saboteurs that ultimately seek to destroy America. By the way, don't take my word for it. If you were president, earnestly, you should ask for a daily brief from the FBI on the new counterintelligence cases that they open up each and every day. And I promise you, If you get that brief every single day, right, after about a month, you're probably going to shut down those flights, right, and anyone at the State Department who whines about it. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, remembering that if you don't hear my voice on these next messages, I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. I got an email from Skip in Radford, Virginia. He wanted to know, if I saw Joe Biden speak yesterday about how Vladimir Putin was losing the war in Iraq, and he asked me what I thought about that. Well, Skip, let's tell the people about this story. So a reporter asked Mr. Biden yesterday if Mr. Vladimir Putin had been weakened by that mutiny in Russia, to which Mr. Biden said this, quote, it's hard to tell, really, but he's clearly losing the war in Iraq, end quote. Well, that is obviously strange uh, because Putin did not invade Iraq. He invaded Ukraine. But uh, here's the thing, Skip. This is not the first time that he's done this, 
right? On Tuesday, Bloomberg News reported that he told a group of his donors that he was pretty proud that he'd gotten a group of nations together to fight Russia's aggression in Iraq. In November, he then told a group in Florida that, quote, inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of a war in Iraq and the impact on oil and what Russia is doing, end quote. Then, in his State of the Union address last year, he said this, quote, Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he will never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people, end quote. By the way, if you watch a video of that speech at that moment, when he starts referencing the Iranian people, you will see Vice President Harris in the background mouthing Ukrainian people. <laughs> so, Skip, you ask, what do I think about that? Well, here's what you all actually think about that. Last week, the Washington Examiner reported that 71% of Americans believe that Mr. Biden is too old to be president. Right, that includes 49% of Democrats. Meanwhile, a poll by uh, NBC News shows that 68% of Americans have concerns about Biden's mental and physical health, including 43% of Democrats. Finally, we have a poll from April that showed 64% of Americans believe that Mr. Biden has been compromised by China. So, Skip, here is the upshot of what I think about all this. An overwhelming majority of Americans believe that Mr. Biden has lost his marbles, right? And whatever he's got left is compromised by the Communist Party in Beijing. So that's what you all think. <clears throat> and uh, as for me, well, that sounds about right. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. That the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.